Stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. But be the man. You gotta beat the man. Ooh, yeah. You got something mean, Welcome back to yet another edition of the Guys Nation Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host as always, John, joined by my good friend and co-host, Rob. All the way from the other side of the country. It's been a couple weeks, uh, some technical difficulties, scheduling difficulties, but we're back, and we'll talk about what we saw in Night of Champions, and uh, you know, I think maybe it was a good time to have a break, because this pay-per-view wasn't exactly that hot, uh, only had about five matches, I think, maybe scheduled beforehand, maybe six, so uh, you know, neither of us were really quite as amped up as we were for SummerSlam, um, but you know, some big stuff came out of it. Uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, I, I got a chance to watch it, and it almost felt like a raw. Um, I don't know if you if you read, you know, I guess you you missed some of it, but at the beginning, uh, Triple H came out and basically cut a promo about, uh, you know, how everybody thinks he's a bad guy and he's just trying to do what's best for business, and it's like it was about 15 minutes long. Uh, Heyman came out and tried to get out of his match. Uh, but he he basically ends it with with uh, doing the DX thing, you know, are you ready to the crowd, and it almost being like a face. It was very odd. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound like something that they would normally do on a pay-per-view. Definitely sounds like something maybe they would want to do before the pay-per-view on like a pre-show. Yeah. But because they put that uh, tag team turmoil thing on the pre-show, it's not like they had time to uh, hype people up and... and I guess it's, you know, this is kind of their way of saying, okay, yeah, we know that people don't really watch the pre-show, so we're going to throw this into the pay-per-view. Kind of disappointing if you ask me. I'd be disappointed if I paid money to see that. Yeah, uh, it was very odd, and and you could tell throughout the the pay-per-view that the crowd was kind of not sure what to expect because, you know, several matches were thrown together. Um, I mean, at the end of his promo, he, he said, uh, you know, because Curtis Axel came out with Paul Heyman, and he said, well, I guess, you know, this is Night of Champions. You need to defend that Intercontinental belt. First guy I run into when I go back is, uh, you know, is going to be challenging you, you know, next, which is like a SmackDown-type way to set up a match, you know. And uh, so anyway, yeah, I guess he apparently ran into Kofi Kingston. So, so right, they throw right. that in there. And, and, and that's kind of disappointing because... Um, I know from a lot of people um, just talking about how the pay-per-view came together, you know, one of the, one of the complaints that people were, were having with the, with the card in general is that some of the things seemed like they were thrown together, like Dean Ambrose versus Dolph Ziggler just seemed kind of thrown together. And, you know, that that's not even taking into account this... Uh, Curtis Axel versus uh, Kofi Kingston thing, so that's yeah. that's that's a huge it's a huge knock on the pay per view even before you get to the results. 
Well, and Fandango versus Miz. I mean, I don't know that that was announced beforehand or not. Uh, I don't recall it being announced. But yeah, I think I think that was one of the two matches that uh, just magically appeared. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's almost hard to blame the fans that are there. They they didn't even know what they were getting into. Um, I mean, really, the entire pay per view was sold on Daniel Bryan getting his rematch. Um, you know, Punk getting a chance to to get Heyman in the ring, and you know, I guess RVD versus Del Rio is a draw too. But other than that. You know, it wasn't exactly your typical night of champions where you see all the belts on the line and, and you know what to expect. Right, and I think I think there's there's at least five different ways that you can be uh, disappointed with this pay per view. I mean, one of it, one of the ways is uh, you know the matches that were just thrown together in the couple of weeks prior to the pay per view. You've got uh, the fact that you know just like you were talking about, you had matches that just ended up on the pay per view. And you didn't know about it until the pay-per-view was already going. The crowd probably, you know, wasn't as hot as, from what I understand. They weren't the greatest crowd. And then you have the results. The way the matches that were on the card actually went down. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think overall um, it's it's kind of a strange setup they have going here. I mean, obviously SummerSlam was a huge build um, and, and pretty much delivered, I, I think, uh, most people really felt good about it. And now we have um, Night of Champions. That was kind of a slow build-up, not very not very strong card and all that, as we've discussed. But three weeks later, we're going to have Battleground. And then three weeks after that, we're going to have Hell in a Cell. So you got three pay-per-views in essentially a six-week span. So I'm wondering, maybe some of their thought process here is that they got to save storylines, or they got to pack more stuff in than this three-week period coming up in between the next two pay-per-views, and that you know maybe just Night of Champions was just kind of setting the stage, you know, because we got to see a whole new, uh, you know, world order basically in the WWE right now, and that's really been the focus of the last several weeks. Uh, so maybe that was their thought process that Night of Champions wasn't going to be a hard-hitting pay-per-view, and that maybe the big guns are going to be safe for Battleground and Hell in a Cell. I don't know, and I I know um, there's some talk out there about what battlegrounds can be about, and I know we're going to get to that in the second half of the show. Um, so they're really going to have to have a decent concept or something decent at these two pay-per-views, because quite honestly, with Night of Champions being lackluster and not not a lot happening with with no titles changing hands, I think you almost get to the point where you're saying, you know, the uh, the Corporation, the COO Triple H, you know, uh, he's not going to let titles change hands unless he wants them to. I think you're almost getting to the point where you're saying, okay, well, why should we even buy in at all if these matches essentially don't mean anything because he can just overturn them? Sure. Yeah, and let's let's jump into that. Uh, you know, obviously we need to talk about the result of the main event and what happened on Raw following up. Uh, you know, the match itself was was pretty good. Um, I mean, the guys clearly have uh, chemistry with each other, Brian and Orton. Um, some good false finishes and everything, but, you know, actually, Brian really dominated most of the match. Uh, and then there was... I don't know that they necessarily covered this part of the controversy on Rob, but uh, Scott Armstrong, the ref, got knocked over about midway through. He was on kind of the ring apron, and he got knocked to the outside. Another ref runs down, and just kind of takes his place. 
and then with about two minutes to go in the match, Armstrong, you know, comes to and says to the other ref, I'm fine, and so then he takes back over the match. So a lot of people were thinking, what is that? You never see that happen. Um, and then so, you know, we have the finishing sequence, and there's a fast count, which kills all the drama. You know, you, you want to see that one, two, and, like, see if they're going to kick out. Yeah. So the fast count, crowd doesn't know what to do. I mean, they, they hop, obviously, but they're like, what just happened? You know, this... I've never, you know, that was not expected whatsoever. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I believe the uh, a lot of the discussion immediately afterwards online was, well, this is going to be overturned. Uh, you know, there's clearly that was planned. Uh, so that's exactly what we saw in Raw. Um, were, were you surprised that uh, that they actually went with? Um Let's go to the tape and let's analyze the uh, the count. Let's let's see your regular uh, cadence. Let's see your cadence on the final count. Were, were you surprised that they went to that level of analysis? I'm not, and I'll tell you why. Because I think this is consistent with what they've been doing as far as trying to mirror things that are going on in the world in society, and this is like an NFL thing, you know. I'm surprised they didn't mention that Scott Armstrong had a concussion and, and should have been taken out. Um, because to me, that's what they were going for, was saying that he wasn't of clear mind, uh, and they go to the replay, you know, like a coach's challenge. Yeah. Um, I, I think they do things like that intentionally. I mean, they, they try to, you know, we're already primed as American audiences watching something like the NFL to to accept instant replay. Right. So no, I wasn't surprised they did that. Were you? Um, you know, I I didn't I didn't uh, get online um, after the pay per view. I, I think I briefly checked Wikipedia and saw a new champion, and I I might have gone to WWE.com, but I I think I mostly decided I was going to wait until Raw to see what had happened. So I didn't I didn't even know about the uh, the fast count uh, controversy. So when he started mentioning it on Raw, I I really thought you know he was just you know looking for, you know, grasping at straws, trying to find just anything he could find to overturn it. But, uh, you know, the way it seemed to me, when Scott Armstrong, you know, apparently on Raw turned to Daniel Bryan and and said they're on to us or whatever, you know, clearly Daniel Bryan, you know, isn't in on some conspiracy, right? I mean, that's, that's not the way they're playing it from what I've seen. Yeah, I, I doubt it. So the way I was thinking it was going to go is that this is some conspiracy where Triple H worked with Scott Armstrong and said, look, if Daniel Bryan does something at the end of the match, do a fast count and we'll overturn it the next night. Yeah. That's the route I thought they were you know, going as when I was watching it unfold on Raw. But then you know, I didn't hear about the fact that Scott Armstrong got knocked out part of the way through the match and he was down, so... You know, I like I like where you're where you're thinking they might be going with the concussion and all that. Yeah, I mean that's possible. Although, I mean, what you're saying about Triple H and and talking to Armstrong about you know a, a game plan, I, I think that's probably more likely given that they didn't mention anything about Armstrong being knocked down right away. Um, and it makes perfect sense if you think about it. Triple H wants to give off this impression that everything's above board, uh, but in reality, he's but he's also told us, you know, in that one scene where they were backstage when Randy's car got vandalized by Daniel Bryan, 
he said, you know, this championship belt is my property, you know, and Randy Orton just holds it for me. Right. So he's still, you know, this is consistent with his wanting to control the belt. Um, if he were to say, yeah, you know, I'm going to be... And also with Scott Armstrong, we're forgetting, I don't know when it was, it was a while ago, but he was one of the guys uh, that got like a talking to from from Triple H, I believe. Uh, hmm. they, they've also mentioned that his family, you know, I guess he's related to uh, Road Dog. Uh, so he fits into that mold of like the Rhodes family and all these guys that they're trying to like you know, make kiss up to them and play by their rules. Um, so I could easily see, you know, what a hidden footage comes out or something where Triple H, you know, is explaining to Scott Armstrong how he wants the match to go down or, you know, something like that. Uh, right. Because that would be consistent with him wanting to control the belt. He, he decides, you know what. But also, you know, and a flip side of that would be that maybe he wanted Orton maybe he wanted this finish. He wanted Brian to win so that Orton doesn't have it anymore. And then, you know, it's a controversy so he can pull it off both of them and just say, all right, good, now I can pick who I want. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I think, um, you know, they, they had the, the segment backstage where uh, Stephanie McMahon and, and Triple H were talking to Randy Orton and, and uh, you know, it's, it's clear that they're not on the same page with him. I know... Uh, you know, that's one of the things we're going to talk about before the break. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that'll be one of the interesting things going forward is, is to see, uh, you know, what they do. Because it's clear that maybe Orton is not their, uh, their chosen champion anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's possible that he was just the right, or he was the best choice at the time. You know, he was what was best for business at the time. And they're going to continually update their ideas of who that should be. Um, you know, and they've already given us a reason why. They've already said that he wasn't aggressive enough. Right. And, you know, the one thought I had was, uh, if not Randy Orton, then uh, potentially Ryback. But uh, later in the show, I guess we're going to talk about what's going on with Ryback now. And I, Because of what Ryback is doing now, uh, his affiliation with uh, Paul Heyman, um, it doesn't seem like that's a bridge that Triple H and Stephanie would go down. Probably not, but I don't know. I have a feeling a lot of storylines are going to get mixed and matched eventually. Um, but yeah, so so he holds the title in abeyance, as he said, and I'm I'm guessing a lot of wrestling fans had to look that one up. Um, yeah, I I had to look it up. <laughs> so so yeah, so basically no one has it. Um, uh, kind of a cool, you know, they gave Brian a chance to uh, to say no. Uh, you know, he has to take the RKO, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, so they kept Brian's, you know, anti-authority kind of attitude intact in there. Uh, so, yeah, I really think uh, that kind of covers that. You know, I, I think we definitely should talk about Orton. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. I, I think that's uh, a natural progression here because, uh, you know, I found it interesting, um, you know, even though Daniel Bryan right there uh, during that segment where he was asked to hand over the belt where he said no, you know, Randy Orton came in, gave the uh, the RKO just as Triple H was taking the belt, 
and then they get backstage and Randy Orton, you know, he's not he's not all buddy buddy. He's like, what was going on out there? What was that all about? You know, questioning Triple H, getting in his face, and then Stephanie stepped up. Really interesting situation, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you almost see Stephanie, uh, you know, take a leadership role there in, in front of Triple H. Um, and, and she's been front and center, too, several times. Uh, we'll talk about what she did with Dusty later. So, And she's been pretty consistently heel. Uh, oh, Triple yeah. H seems to be wanting to toe the line sometimes. Yeah, Triple H has that uh, smarmy feel to him where he's like a used car salesman where it's like, hey, I'm trying to be your friend. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to give you a good deal. We're going to get you in a new things. vehicle. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he, he wants to be your friend. He wants to do something good for you. But you know deep down, you know, you ask for the Carfax, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, I totally agree. You know, Stephanie, there's... There's really, uh, you know, there's there's no blurring of lines there. I mean, there's no reason she had to come right out and say, uh, yeah, just in case everybody doesn't know, Big Show is broke. Like that's not that's not uh, blurring any lines. That's like straight up uh, bitch oh, yeah. right there. <clears throat> yeah, and she does it well. She's yeah. come a long way. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so you know, they, they basically insinuate to Orton or straight up tell him, you know, what happened to that. That guy that uh, what it tied up Triple H and DDT to her was that the story? Yeah, I think uh, handcuffed Triple H to the uh, to the bottom rope and yeah. Yep. I'm gonna have to look that one up. So yeah, also- he needs to be more aggressive, and we immediately see that where he gets a match with uh, the Miz in his hometown with his parents ringside. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you could definitely tell it was the Miz's mother. They have kind of the same look. Yeah, they, but, uh, they kept mentioning the Miz's dad, and I'm not sure exactly which one the Miz's dad was, but uh, I think he was the dude with long hair. Did he have, maybe have a beard? I looked like he had kind of like long hair and glasses. I don't know. Okay, so he he definitely wasn't wearing like a like a really nice suit or anything. He kind of looked rough around the edges, so. maybe. Yeah, and everybody was kind of joking online that he was no selling the whole thing because he wasn't having a whole lot of reaction. Right. His mother, on the other hand, was doing a good job. Yeah, I mean, there was one spot where uh, I think Randy Orton was going to um, do the elevated DDT off the uh, ring barrier or whatever, and, uh, you know, the Miz's mom was, like, right there with her hands over her mouth, and I was like, man, they need to cut away from her because she's, like, standing in the same pose for, like, you know, two minutes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, she she did a good job. I mean, obviously she knows her, her son's not going to get hurt. But. Right. Although she's still a mother, they probably still think they're going to get hurt. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes with uh, with some guys, you have to you have to wonder, and you know, you get a guy dropped four feet straight down onto his head. You know, it doesn't matter how much padding there is and whatever. I guess there's still an opportunity somebody's going to get hurt. But yeah, that's always seemed like a pretty dangerous move. I don't know how they kind of block themselves, but yeah, I don't that's really notice of, their arms come out. Yeah, that's that's one of the things with. Uh, with wrestling that's kept me in it is that uh, it's not just body slams and backbreakers and elbows off the top rope anymore that, you know, you're like, okay, I know how that doesn't hurt. There's a lot of stuff that happens nowadays. It's like, you know, I, I should put together a, a video and put it on YouTube to uh, to show everybody the things that I've seen that it's like, I don't know how the hell they do that. Yeah. Uh, like Caval a couple of years ago used to jump off the top rope and stomp down on your chest. I don't know how the hell that doesn't hurt, but <laughs> That's, oh, that's I was funny. always 
I was always petrified at the Yokozuna thing. Oh yeah. The Yoko bomb, I guess it was, or yeah, yeah. bonsai drop, maybe. Bonsai drop, sure. Yeah. I'm thinking of Vader bomb. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like when he made uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan spit out blood. Yep. Yeah, stuff like that. It's like I was man, like oh my god, he's dead. Right. Right. That's probably a different uh, a topic for a for a different show. Uh, sure. You know, maybe next week or something, but. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Orton is aggressive. He beats the crap out of the Miz. Uh, gets him in the ring and does the old uh, wrestling version of a curb stop, I guess, with the chair. Yeah. Now, um, I, you, you've gone on record as saying that you're not a huge fan of Randy Orton. Did uh, the match from Raw where he kind of got back some of his ruthless aggression? Did that uh, Did that help you buy in anymore, or are you still kind of? Well, I think he's been better overall since he's been elevated. Um, I'm still not a huge fan, but he's put some effort forth. He always seemed like he wasn't putting forth effort, which really bothered me. Yeah. Because he's, you know, as as people have said, you know, he's been given a lot and, you know, has everything you need other than, I guess, a personality. And you'd <laughs> think you could develop that or, or at least get halfway there. And it just seemed like he wasn't even trying. Right. Uh, but he's been better at it. Like when he was yelling at a big show in the ring, uh, last week, so I feel like yeah, he's definitely gotten better. I mean, his ring mark's always been pretty good. I mean, I certainly can't complain about that. But yeah, I just you know I, I'm I'm into the story and the characters, and he just always bothered me because he was very bland. Yeah, well, he's definitely been bland ever since uh, he was. Uh, I guess you call him a face, but yeah, whatever, whatever he actually certainly, is, certainly plays better as a heel. Yeah, yeah. So we got we got a more uh, ruth you know more of a ruthless aggression out of Randy Orton and uh, so do you, you think uh, you think the McMahons got what they wanted and uh, you think he's going to be back in their good graces or you think uh, they they're probably going to come out and say that they want to see more? I think they they'll say they want to see more. Yeah. You know they're doing they're doing kind of you know multiple week angles here. Uh, you know Big Show has to be embarrassed five shows in a row, you know, before he pays his dues. And I, I would think that if they want to see more out of Orton, they got to see it more than one show. Right. So I guess the question is, who do they have him beat down next week? I mean, do they take a viable contender? Do they put him back in the ring with Daniel Bryan again? Uh, do they I give figure... him a fan favorite like uh, Santino or Kofi? Yeah, I was, Kofi was the first one to pop into my head. That's disappointing because at some point, at some point, they need to do something with Kofi other than just have him lose to uh, some of the top guys. But um, there, there's this theory that I have in the back of my mind that uh, I need to probably do some research on and 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 uh, expound upon a little more formally. But uh, you know, they they do these things where they have two guys feud a little bit, and then down the line they have them feud again, they have them feud again, they have them feud again. They just, you know, they take anywhere between two and eight months off between times, and uh, Kofi and Randy Orton definitely feuded uh, a couple of times in the past five years or so. Um, yeah. So, you know, I could see them uh, mixing it up and him injuring Kofi, and then, you know, two months from now, when when Randy Orton needs something to do other than, you know, be in the main event with Daniel Bryan, you know, kind of like. Uh, CM Punk and Ryback right now, how uh, CM Punk needs something outside the main event. 
he gets Ryback. And, uh, you know, a year ago, year and a half ago, whenever it was, what what feud did you have for CM Punk? Ryback. Yeah. So, you know, those, I well, can see Yeah, I mean, I figure you're juggling, you're juggling a roster. I'm sure they like to mix and match to see what, what works. Yeah. Or what they can come back to, you know. Exactly. Exactly. After we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the big show, what's been going on with him, uh, all the stuff they've made him do. And then Ryback is now Paul Heyman's uh, protector of some sort. Uh, we'll talk about Dolph Ziggler and what's going on with him and some thoughts about what Battleground is going to be. We'll be right back. 